Live from the NASDAQ market site, this is Fast Money. I'm Brian Sullivan. In again for Melissa Lee. And your traders on the desk tonight are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinemann, and Guy Adami. are also joined by Chris Barone. He is head of technical analysis at Strategus. Welcome back, Chris. All right, tonight on Fast. Something we pretty much talked about a few weeks ago, if not called. Mm. The $13 billion deal that is shaking up the banking industry with Morgan Stanley's big buyout of E-Trade might mean for you, dear retail investor. Plus, feeling the burn. Bernie Sanders riding high atop the Democratic field after last night's debate. But are the markets fully anticipating the prospect of a Sanders presidency? We'll look at the one sector that may be just a bit out of sync. And later on, we have got a fast pitch for you. One of our traders is still bullish on this stock even after a 40% rally in the past year. That is your fast pitch. There's your mystery chart. Place your guesses, the name, and the interview ahead. All right, all that coming up. We begin with kind of a wild ride on Wall Street today. Stocks plunging in a matter of minutes earlier in the session. Look at that. Mm. Now falling at one point nearly 400 points. But ultimately, all the index closed well off their lows. The Dow ended down 128 points. You know, Guy Adami, yes, the traders who sort of attributed this to articles about coronavirus in Beijing, none of this is confirmed, but there was an article that hit. I think the algos picked it up. But either way, does this kind of show you how shaky or nervous the market might actually be? The vulnerability of the market itself. And I think, the look, the answer is yes. And as you know, Brian, because you're vulnerable at times. I, I, you know what? It's okay, though, to be vulnerable. In fact, and I'm going to be vulnerable now and say my favorite ride at, at Disney World is Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. You mentioned the Wild Ride. I love that. Followed closely by the Hall of Presidents. Sorry, can we so, get back to I thought it was country very big for And the country, that's a, that's a, right, a show so over. It. Does it show how Yes, it does, Brian. And I'll tell you exactly why. I mean, you know, listen, we work, which was some one point valued at $48 billion, goes down 85%. If it was a publicly traded company, we talked about it every day. But that can happen. It can also happen in individual stocks. And to a certain extent, it can happen in the broader market. You saw how fast the market went lower today. But I'll say this. Things that have sort of uh, been a harbinger for this continue to work. Look at Newmont Mining. Look at the gold sector. Look at TLT. And Tim will talk about this level. But I think 142 or thereabouts in the 10-year yield is a huge level. 149 in the TLT, which was the August high. We break through that on the upside or on the downside in terms of yields, and then you might have this diminishing marginal returns in terms of what lower yields means to the broader bull market here. Well, you know, we talked about last night uh, uh, at different times this kind of barbell strategy investors have in the market right now. They're grabbing high growth, and then they're also grabbing utilities, REITs, you name it, very defensive, uh, maybe some bombed-out value in industrial land. Uh, and then the, the other dynamic here is if you look at the bond market, so guys talking about the Treasury curve, uh, if you look at threes, three-month, ten years, so again, the, pick on where you want to measure inversion in the yield curve, you've got it right there. Um, so we were jumping out of windows when we were actually looking at an inverted yield curve uh, three to four months ago. Um, we're back at a level where people should be paying attention this. We talk about gold almost every night. Uh, I'm going to talk about the dollar later in the show. Stick around for that. But these are not terribly good equity positive signs. Um, And yet the fact of the matter is some of the high growth names and some of the biggest companies in the world continue to go higher. Chris, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. I I might push back. Even if you look at the market today at the lows, breadth wasn't bad. You had more stocks up than down for most of the day. And then you look at what stocks were working. Those real domestic consumer oriented names, the housing stuff was very strong. The transportation stocks were Nobody's saying today was a disaster, Chris. What we're trying to point out, though, is that the market fell a couple hundred points in a matter of minutes, ostensibly 
on an article from China Daily about the number of corona cases in Beijing. Oh, I think what it speaks to is how concentrated CAP is in these very big tech names. And you get one headline, it can hit them. But when you look at the breadth of the market, this, I think, is a very underrated point. Breadth's actually really good. 80% of stocks are above their 200-day moving average. That's not where big problems emerge from. I was looking at, you know, what's been so hot for retail investors, which I wouldn't be a part of, which is Tesla today, Virgin Galactic, just ridiculous. And if you looked at what happened during that same half hour where the market got spooked, Virgin Galactic down, I don't know, 20, $11, I think it was, Tesla down a quick 50 bucks. So to me, I mean, those are just hovering. They're levitating with nothing underneath. And, you know, you get a bad tape for a little bit. And some of those names, I think would just really spook retail investors. And one other thing, and Tim mentioned this, but Con Edison specifically, I mean, it's a utility for you folks that don't live in the tri-state area. I mean, it's one of the biggest ones in our area. But I'll say this, an all-time higher thereabouts today, trading 21 times next year's earnings. That's a utility, folks. That, to me, is not a particularly healthy sign for the broader market. And this has been going on for quite some time. So I hear what Chris is saying, but I think the vulnerability is there. And But again, People feel empowered on a day like today where the market's down at 1.350, Dow points closes down 120. And again, the buy the tip crowd correctly says, you know what, yeah, doesn't because, matter. And I will see your con ed right. and I will raise you a next era energy, which, you know, up a little bit again today, up 49 percent. Again, another utility. When I went to TV journalism school, financial mm. journalism television school, too. And they did, they did a great job at <clears throat> school, it a, obviously. It was, a, it was a three-hour class. <laughs> but in that course, the one thing I learned was... With the break. If, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was with the lunch. <laughs> if people are buying utilities and gold, it means they're nervous. And yet the market keeps going up, even though pe- people are buying utilities and gold. Well, the I, overall market. I, I think there's, first of all, there is also, you have to understand... Who's doing investing and who's investing in what? And there are investors that are going after different asset classes. You certainly have fixed income and yield-based investors that are being pushed into different products and, and pushed into certain places that they aren't comfortable in, whether it's the, the term Tina or whatever you want to say. Um, that's part of your explanation. People that are going, people investing in utilities and REITs and yield-based products are people that ostensibly are people that are often bond investors and are squeezed into the equity market. I think that's what the Federal Reserve wanted to do. Congratulations. You've done it. Okay. Well, let's talk more about all of this. Joining us now is J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovich, and he has got one heck of a report out. By the way, it came out, I think, yesterday. Marco, good to see you. Welcome back. Thank you. Uh, You know, I I was highlighting stuff on the report, then I realized I basically highlighted the entire report because there's so much in here that I think is important to our viewers and our audience. First, let's talk about sort of what we just talked about. You note the ratio of the S&P 500 technology sector to energy is the same as it was or higher than the peak of the tech bubble in the late 90s. But is that alone a warning sign? Not alone. You know, that's just one of the signs. You know, actually, we focused a bit more on what you guys mentioned, utilities and some of these bond proxies, you know. So we call them a low volatility stock. So those are stocks that have very low volatility. They act as as a bonds and they typically have a pretty, you know, decent yield or comparable yield to to bonds. So these low volatility stocks were bid up massively. Um, Along them also um, momentum stocks, you know, and these momentum stocks tend to uh, have some bias towards sectors such as tech. And Karen mentioned, um, you know, some of the popular names that we're seeing over the last few weeks really kind of taking off parabolic, you know. So it's a basically, valuations are stretched both in these defensives and also in these... Dangerously stretched. Is the market vulnerable to a significant pullback? So broad market... um, 
you know, probably not to significant pullback, but some of these factors and some of these market segments, likely yes, you know. So, so I wouldn't say that they'll take down entire market, you know, but could we have, a, for instance, pull in, pullback in some of these defensives? If we do have some positive news from China, I think these will pull sharply. Or conversely, if you have some negative news, you'll see some of these tech and growth stocks pull back like we saw today around 11, 11.30. Uh, so I think they're, they're vulnerable. You know, now if you look at the other side of the market, the other side of that trade is what we call value stocks and cyclical stocks. And they're really beaten down sort of to such a low level that it's very hard for me to see them being uh, taken down even a lot more. You know, now uh, sort of uh, 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 we talked about that in December. Like what? What's down? I can't find anything that's down. Like, you know, energy is down. Like materials are down. Well, energy is like, so it. That's pretty much it, though. Metals and mining. You know, the non-precious metals, industrial metals. You know, so um, uh, and certainly others are down relative to uh, the rest of the market. You know, so they're lagging significantly. You know, so so the bottom line, I, we we, do, uh, we think sort of what should happen or what we believe is going to happen is going to be a rotation rotation out of these defensives into a bit more cyclicals, you know, and if there is a, a broad market sell-off, probably then some of the growth momentum stocks actually uh, catch up on the downside with some of the beaten down cyclicals and, and, uh, and value stocks. So are you saying that that convergence would happen mm-hmm. in an up market or a down market either way? So we, we think we think it happened in, in both. Uh, both. You know, so our core view, our, our sort of base case scenario is that market still does well this year and that economy does well and that we sort of recover from this uh, situation was happening in China. So in, in that case, we are, we are sort of our base case view is that cyclicals and value catch up. Um, now, if there is a sort of, uh, uh, obviously, there is a risk that this, things, uh, this thing in China uh, spreads out and, and lasts longer, then we think you would see the, the catching down from sort of momentum and growth stocks. Have we ever seen a period towards the end of a, towards the end of a cycle where stuff like utilities and REITs trade the valuations that they have? And does that mean maybe they won't be leadership in the next downturn? You know, we typically count on these stocks and these groups to provide some defense in those markets. Yeah, hard, hard to see them uh, being uh, a sort of uh, providing a hedge or, or uh, in, in a down market. And they are tied really to yields, and, and yields are tied to central bank actions. And broadly across the world, we have on average negative uh, negative rates. And, and, and these stocks are sort of uh, a bit up to a level that... Um, uh, you know, we would call basically borderline b- uh, bubble, you know. So basically, if, if we look at the low-wall stocks, sector neutral, so I don't want to single just utilities, you know, but the, the lowest-wall stocks in each sector, the valuation uh, of these stocks relative to so-called value stocks is actually twice as wide as it was during the 99 tech bubble. So it is a bubble in a way. So what's the hedge in the next downturn? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, the, always the, easy, the, the most straightforward hedge is to buy puts, you know, on, on broad market or, 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 or to buy VIX. Um, a, a little bit sort of uh, uh, bizarrely, we think if investors can move a bit of portfolio towards value, we think it could potentially be hedge as well. You know, so, you know, again... Buy oil and gas stocks? Well, I wouldn't say necessarily oil and gas, but generally tilt a bit more towards va- value, whereby you can uh, limit some of the downside if some of these high flyers actually come down crashing, or conversely, if we do have a catch-up on the upside, you'll actually participate a bit more. And it is, if utilities sell off, you'll, you'll compensate that by, by, by value stock rallying. So, again, the most straightforward would be just a simple hedging. S&P puts, VIX calls, you know, or puts on specific stocks that you have. We do also like a bit diversification, kind of move away from these things that are super expensive, so you may mitigate some of the pain if this uh, bubble is to burst. Awesome. So, so, 
So, Mark, we're, we're talking about, you're talking about granular, um, you know, how, how people are expressing trades and asset allocation. Uh, from the market's perspective, just thinking about how bad news is largely being treated as good news. You know, we, Guy and I often talk about that Stairway to Heaven is, is the most underrated, overrated song. And I bring that up because in the same way, if you think about the market, the market is, is, is not even listening to some very big uh, macro events out there, whether it was the trade war, whether it's the coronavirus. And I'd be the first to say I think coronavirus is temporary um, and transient, except for the fact that we were going through a year ago, we were talking about many were recession in the context of a recovery that was still very immature. Isn't this enough? The market rallies above where it should be when there's negative news that doesn't look to be as bad. And therefore, you end up with a market that, that almost has negative catalysts to going higher, if that makes sense. I mean, I, w- I would agree again for sort of momentum stocks, growth stocks, and, and these defenses. You know, like, so if you look at the tech names, you know, they're just going up no matter what. It's pretty much similar with utilities and, and some of the defensive. But if you look at, again, if you look at the, I'm not going to sort of be, be, sound like a broken record, but, you know, aluminum, copper, oil, it's down a lot. You know, even year to date, it's down probably 20, 30 percent. You know, like, so, so I think these sectors are taking the brunt. And the rest is marching, and it makes us nervous. In both, if there is a quick recovery in China or quicker recovery in China, you will see the snapback of value and cyclical stock up. Or if there is none, at some point, we'll see the rollover from these high flyers. Marco, at some point. I mean, I think that's, that's kind of the key. But for now, I think, Tim, the song remains the same. I, I, love, I you're going to do something there. <laughs> Thank you love very it. much. Appreciate it. Thank you. So, I mean, listen, I think Marco's, you know, if you, by the way, you should, you know, if you, I don't know if everybody can just get Marco's research, but I mean, the stuff that he's writing in here, I think is really worth a read. Even if you're not out there, guy, and saying imminent collapse, the market's on shaky, you know, these stocks like Tesla that are going up for no reason. I think, I think it's, it's appropriate to take a little bit of caution here. You have to, you have to listen. I agree. It's, it's easy to stay within your dogma and, and, and read and listen to things that reinforce your belief system. I get it. But every once in a while, you sort of hear and need the other story, despite the fact that the market goes up regardless. I clearly have a bustle in my hedgerow given these moves and yields. Don't be I'm alarmed not, at though. But I, right. Exactly. Yeah. Don't be. It's right. I'm not alarmed. But I will tell you, there is a point of diminishing marginal returns in terms of the way the 10-year goes, and we're precariously close to it, I believe. All right, good stuff there. Now, we've got a market flash on First Solar. Stock's tanking after hours. Rahel Solomon knows why, and so let's go to her now. Tanking it is. Hi, Brian. So First Solar just now resuming after a halt, plummeting now more than 15%. So the company issued full-year 2019 EPS guidance of $1.48. That was far below analyst expectations of $2.13. 22 revenue guidance, 2020 revenue guidance, also way below estimates. So for the last quarter, the company's revenue... Also missed. That came in at $1.4 billion. The expectation had been $1.75 billion. The company says that it's also reviewing options for its U.S. project development business. And a release, though, for Solar said that it's in its preliminary stages and that this may not actually result in a transaction. But you can see investors do not like this news at all. The stock down more than 15 percent right now after resuming trade. Brian, I'll send it back to you. Yeah, not good numbers. They're going to wipe out a year of gains, by the way. And if you look at uh, guys, anybody want to comment on this? Because if you look at the, by the way, the TAN, TAN is the ticker for the solar Invesco solar ETF. You talk about ESG, Tesla, TAN has been red hot. I mean, it's been soaring. Uh, you wonder if this first solar news is going to, Chris, take down the entire sort of complex tomorrow. Well, this stock has been the exception. No one's made any money here for six years, unchanged, basically, for the last six years. They've lost a lot of money in in the sector. In what has been one of the great bull markets of our lifetimes, no one's made money in this stock. Below 50 is a problem here. I think below 50, you get lower prices. 
No, I just Anybody a buyer for solar? I wonder if Solar City, if that matters mm. for Tesla. I don't know. Right? They have a decent, maybe a dozen. We, we never talk about Solar City. We don't. Uh, at Tesla. Huh. That's so weird. Yeah, well, I think, listen, we've got to watch the TAN ETF tomorrow, these big ESG plays, a lot of people buying this. But, you know, again, you, you take the debate last night. We talk about renewables and in, in infrastructure investing and stuff like this. A lot of cheap Chinese imports coming in in, in, in the photovoltaic cell space. All right, coming up, Morgan Stanley making a big play in the retail brokerage game. But does that multi-billion dollar bet give it an edge with investors? We're going to dig in. And shares of Dropbox soaring. After their latest report, we're going to break down the numbers. No communication breakdown there. Mm. And by the way, you can always catch us live on the go on the CNBC app. Much more fast money after this. All right, welcome back. Well, certainly the big deal of the day, probably the month, highlighting the changing face of Wall Street. Morgan Stanley going after the retail investor with a $13 billion buyout of E-Trade. Morgan's not alone in those efforts. Goldman Sachs has been investing in what they call Marcus. It's online consumer banking platform for years. And just yesterday, UBS selected the head of digital banking giant ING as its new CEO. Now, Morgan Stanley finishing the day lower while E-Trade, of course, saw a big pop. Karen, your take on the deal news today. Well, it's, it's not surprising that E-Trade did a deal with somebody, right? I mean, the writing was on the wall once we saw rates go to zero and then we saw Schwab do TD Ameritrade. So that's not surprising. It's a, it's a little, but not a huge surprise that it was Morgan Stanley. It's not quite their customer, right? It, I guess they want to expand their customer base. They want to expand their um, deposit, their funding base. So I get that. I see how they could cut expenses. I mean, it's sort of a big price, but it's not crazy. And I think you got to give uh, Gorman the benefit of the doubt, right? I think the evolution of the business has been a good one. It's been successful. And so, it's a race for assets, isn't it? You, just gotta... you, you got right. And I'm sort of surprised. I mean, Goldman, I assume, did look at it, maybe did bid. I don't know. Maybe that customer isn't quite right for them either. But I, I think Gorman gets a chance to see if this works. The stickiness of the assets is critical. The, the access to consumer finance and consumer lending, the, the interesting thing is it actually kind of gets them more into a commercial banking realm. If you think about after the crisis when, when actually Goldman and Morgan Stanley, uh, you know, essentially used some of those banking licenses to just get funding, but it was never really their core business. Um, Morgan Stanley went on to make uh, essentially wealth management the cornerstone of, of their business. And, and I think it's been proven smart. I, I think they've clearly moved to the front of the class. I think they were at the front of the class before this deal, I think this deal uh, is, is helpful. I think the price they paid, if you think about where E-Trade was uh, before you started to see the consolidation and it looked like they might be edged out by the Ameritrade Schwab deal, um, this was a $60, $70 stock. So if you look at the average over the last six months, this is probably uh, in line where this thing should have traded, even though it looked like a huge premium today. And we've mentioned this quickly, Brian, but go back and look at what the previous all-time high was in the stock, Morgan Stanley. It happened sometime in March 2018, around 59 bucks, And then go back and look at where it just topped out, and we've discussed this. In terms of technicians out there, Carter Braxton Worth being one of them, he will point out a major double top here. Couple that with the fact that book value in Morgan Stanley's probably... I don't know, 46 and a half or so. It's not ridiculous to think that we're not going to go back and revisit book value at some point in the stock. Okay. Good discussion there on a big story. Now, we've got a lot more coming up your way here on Fast Money. Here's what's up next. The U.S. dollar is on a tear, but that's not a positive for everyone. Tim Seymour breaks down the stock winners and losers when the dollar is king. And later... 
there's a weird thing happening with healthcare stocks. We go off the charts to find out what's behind the moves. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. All right, welcome back. We have got a news alert on the T-Mobile Sprint merger. Julia Borston has that for you. Julia. That's right. Shares of Sprint moving higher, up about 5%. T-Mobile shares moving just slightly lower. This on news, you see Sprint shares now up 4.75%. T-Mobile down 1.5%. This of news that T-Mobile and Sprint have announced an amendment to their merger agreement. In this amendment, um, Deutsche Telekom will now get 43% of the combined company. That's just slightly higher than the 42% um, previously announced. And the company announces they aim to close the merger by April 1st. Back over to you. All right, Julia, thank you very much. You can see Sprint stock there up 5%. I mean, this is a big, good move. Is this it? It's a big move. Uh, yeah, uh, but, but is this, is it, have we seen finally this, what, five-year drama between these two companies finally make investors some money and this is it? Well, I think the charts certainly reflect that. But what's interesting is also what's happening on the other side. Look at names like Verizon and AT&T, which play in the space, which are actually breaking down here a little bit, despite low bond yields. So there's a message there. Not all the defensive, not all the yield stocks are working like they should be in this environment. I think that's because very interesting. Because they're now actually, as I understand it, Guy Dami, mm-hmm. please correct me if I'm wrong because I probably am. They've got 5G technology that curious, actually yeah. might be ahead of AT&T and Verizon. And also mentioned that case, we talked about it last week or two weeks ago, Dish Network was mentioned very positively. That's what John Ledger would say, and I know he is, happens to be a fan of Fast Money. He's watching right now, and he would say exactly that, which is the reason why T-Mobile trades at 19 times forward earnings and AT&T trades at 10. I think AT&T is worth more than that. I hear what Chris is saying. But if you can get this stock, T-Mobile, back around 90 bucks, I think you buy it with both hands. Okay. Let's switch gears now, because King Dollar has certainly been reigning supreme. The dollar, if you're not paying attention, nearing its highest level in about three years. But we're a show about stocks, not currencies. So what does this dollar strength mean for your money? It is time for trade school class in session. Professor Seymour at the Plasma. Yes, students. And we love trade school because I think when you talk about the dollar, this is a classic case of understanding market dynamics. First, I want to show you the dollar index. Remember, the dollar index is 60 percent euro, uh, then Japanese yen, and then a basket, which includes the rest of the world. But you can see the three-year chart, basically dollar right back to these levels of where we were in January 2017. And, and what's really extraordinary about this move in the dollar, because largely at times we've complained a lot about the dollar, I don't hear people talking about the dollar, despite the fact that this move has been almost straight up year to date. And actually, sorry, I should draw it from there. That's actually almost 4% in terms of the dollar. That's a massive move for a currency. And I want to talk a little bit about why I think this is happening. But ultimately, the trade school is how do you deal with this if you're an investor in this market? And what does it mean? So first of all, just want to point out that typically this is often a risk-off sign. Now, here we are right now. We've talked about the markets tonight. Is it a risk-off time for markets? Well, the dollar is kind of telling you that it is. Maybe that's because... Right now, we actually see relative strength to the U.S. economy over other parts of the world. At a time when central banks also have dominated kind of the the entire discussion on markets, the ECB often has been a reason why the dollar has rallied. The ECB has been kind of quiet here in terms of them pumping more liquidity. This has me a little bit concerned uh, why we're rallying on a safe haven flight to quality. What does this actually mean? We'll get into this specifically, but often 
When we hear a strong dollar, especially as we're heading into earnings season, it's a green light for CEOs, CFOs to talk about the headwinds to their business. And I'll explain that. It's as simple as, one, when you convert foreign profits in local currency back into dollars, it's less dollars. The other dynamic is if you're a multinational and you're selling things around the world and you're actually the dollar is expensive here, if you have a local currency, that product is now more expensive. That's another reason why multinationals don't like it. Finally, as an emerging markets guy, this has always been a time to sell emerging markets. Emerging markets, typically, if you're an investor, more than two-thirds, sorry, about 50 percent of your trade is often your currency. This means the dollar is rallying often at a greater extent over EM currencies. So let's show you some names to actually play it. First of all, these are companies that I think are cashing in on King Dollar. Why are they cashing in? For the most part, they're companies that have 100 percent of their exposure, I guess I mean these two, to U.S. markets. Obviously, if you think about it, TJ Maxx, this is often a company that also has done well. At times, we've been more worried about the economy. We've been, we've been thinking of a consumer that's been kind of trading down, going to value uh, CVS drugstore change. We know that's 100% U.S. business. They have some structural issues to their business, but typically you see them rally. Unilever is interesting because this is a company that actually is a foreign company. So when the, when they, who does a lot of business in the United States. So when that those profits are, are brought back uh, to, Belgium, essentially where this company trades out of, um, they're actually making more money in the United States because, again, in the local currency, strong dollar converts into more local currency. Quickly on the ones that actually have had an issue, we've heard Nike talk about this all the time. We heard about it in Q1 2016. Nike, which gets a lot of their earnings from abroad for sure. Um, Look, King Apple, we've heard about China. We know where they get their revenue base. We know that this is, although it's a services story, it's a technology story. Tech companies overall have most of their exposure outside the United States and Delta Airlines. Again, we look at airlines who have global businesses for the same factors we talked about. Class is in session. Good stuff there. Good. By the way, Unilever trivia, there are corporate neighbors, CNBC up there in Inglewood Cliffs, New Jersey. Karen, any of those stocks stick out to you? Uh, well, I'm long Delta, so I, I hope they don't have a big miss and then have to blame it on the dollar, and I don't know how much they hedge. I mean, one that's sort of been interesting to me, P&G, which actually gets most of their revenue outside of the U.S. That stock had seemed expensive for a while. This has to be a headwind for them. I don't, do you know if they hedge that? Yeah, Procter & Gamble, certainly, if you think about it, they are kind of the opposite. They are the same as Unilever, except for the fact that they're bringing it all back here. So, no, you will hear them complaining about King Dollar. I think it's notable that Delta has held up remarkably well, given all the headwinds out there. TJX is a great chart, so I'm with you there. But what I can't reconcile is strong dollar, but gold still works. And that is clearly out of step with the playbook you might expect. And when you look at tech, which has been leadership here, also a very high foreign revenue-sensitive sector that has continued to work. So not all the dollar relationships are holding up this time around, as you might expect. Yeah, uh, but the dollar by itself has been a remarkable story. Great stuff, Professor Seymour. Thank you very much. All right, coming up. We are gearing up for earnings from John Deere. What options traders think are gonna, we're going to hear from the industrial giant. First, Pete will join us from the home of the Minnesota Twins with a fast pitch on one red-hot semi-stock. Why this name has grabbed his attention. Batter up and Fast Money returns. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Stock's falling a bit today, down to down 128. But one of our traders is stepping up to the plate to pitch a name that he thinks could be a home run for your portfolio. I've run completely out of baseball metaphors. Pete Nigerian is the away team tonight, and he's bringing a fast yep. pitch all the way from Minneapolis. Oh, don't you know? Take it away, Pete. 
Well, thanks, Brian. Here's my pitch for tonight. It's Micron Technology. Now, this is a name that's absolutely had an incredible 2019 had a nice start to 2020. But when I look at this, I always go and break it down to different fundamental story. So the fundamental story starts with actually the management. And the management, what I love so much right now is this is a management that's only been there for a couple of years, but at SanDisk, he was one of the founders. And because of that, when I looked into the past, in his last 10 years as the CEO of SanDisk, they made at least seven acquisitions and eventually sold off that business for $18 billion later on to Western Digital. I think what we're seeing now is a management that's there that came in 2017. And I think this is a management that's going to start doing some of that even in a bigger way when it comes to Micron, and I'll get to that in a minute. When I look at the fundamental side of this story, here's what I really like. It trades at a 10 times forward P.E. That's extremely low. Now, a lot of people will say, well, but it's always traded cheap. They're, they're right. But I think the management has done such a magnificent job with the balance sheet, and what they've done is they've flipped it. And when I say that, I mean $8 billion in debt has now flipped over into nearly $3 billion in terms of a positive. So a big, huge move there when you're talking about the fundamental side of this story right now. And then where is the growth going to come from? Well, we all know what they really do, right? I mean, they've got DRAM and they've got NAND and they've got all of this. And everybody knows exactly what that's all about. And obviously that's a, that's a, a big game and they've got to wave through the very difficult times as well as some of the, the great times. But I think what's really important here is... This CEO made that first acquisition, and that acquisition puts them into position into AI. And that's what I think is so important because Micron is no longer going to be this company that everybody looks to for just memory and just storage. They're getting into AI in a big way with that acquisition that they made late last year. So AI, 5G, a lot of the names that we talk about all the time, the different areas where there's growth, I think this name actually has room, plenty of room to the upside to be 65 bucks a share not long from now. Hey, Pete, that's very interesting. Why yeah. do you think people don't pay enough attention to this non-core part of their business, the part that you think has the most, the most growth? Because all we hear about is NAND and DRAM. Right. And I think that's the key, Tim. I mean, this is just like Apple. Everybody said, it's the phone, it's the phone, it's the phone. No, it's services. Not only was it services, now it's wearable. So I think that's kind of the story is people aren't seeing the future, and the future is where the growth is going to come from. That's AI, that's 5G. Pete Nigerian in Minneapolis with MU as the fast pitch. All right, yep. it is, it's judgment time. I mean, this is getting serious here. Things are really <laughs> elevated. Tim Seymour, you ask the question, you kick off the voting. I, I'm afraid I'm going to have to sell it, not because I don't agree with Pete, because I agree that the, the stock is priced in a lot of this great news. Stock's up almost 80% uh, in the last nine months. I think it's a name that a lot of people have priced as being down and, and overcome it. I'm a buyer. The trend is up. It's consolidating near 60. Every big move, every big up move has been on big volume. That tells us the stock's being accumulated. We want to own it. Okay. Well, not surprising. I'm going to pass. It's not my kind of thing. Pete's going to be quick enough if it heads south and market shifts. He'll be out quickly. I don't have that expertise, so I'm going to pass. Yeah, I'm with Pete. It breaks out above 62. That was the prior high, I think, in March of 2018. They report on the 25th of March. I think you own it in the earnings. So we're going to give it a 50, half and half. Is that basically it? You know, I like half and half in my coffee. Some people don't. They no. find it a little it unsettles their stomach. For me, it's not. actually outstanding. It's not coffee without half All right, half. two and two, guys. Pete and Jared, hey, thanks for making some t- trudging through the snow to come on the program. We appreciate it, Pete. We'll see you Great soon, Great to be with you, Brian. Thanks. All right, thank you very <laughs> All much. Right. All right, so, folks, the desk has spoken. Split down the middle. Now it's your turn. Are you buying Pete's pitch on Micron? 
Giddy up and vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We're going to reveal the results later on in the show. Plus, healthcare stocks that are looking live and well here. How should you position yourself ahead of the election if you want to bet on this hotly contested space? We're going to break it down next. Well, it certainly was fight night in Vegas. That, that moment right there when they came out on stage was about the only time everybody seemed happy. Democratic candidates squared off for their latest debate, blistering attacks against the newcomer. Former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg seemed to help cement Bernie Sanders' lead in most of the polls. In fact, the latest predicted betting market numbers giving Bernie more than 50 percent chance of winning the Democratic nomination. And there's one part of the market that you think would be feeling the burn, but it's not. Let's go off the charts. Chris Verone is over at the Plaza with more on health care. Chris. Yeah, Brian, that's exactly right. I think what's been remarkable since uh, the Iowa caucus about three weeks ago now, the health care stocks that are perceived to be most at risk, given some of the policies uh, out there, are actually among some of the best performers. The HMOs up 11 percent over the last three weeks. The biotech stocks up about nine. These are the five best groups since Iowa. Two of them are healthcare. I think it's a pretty compelling case that the market is discounting that these groups are not at the risk that people believe they may be. And I think there's a couple stocks in particular that trade incredibly well uh, despite this. UNH uh, is the first in the HMO space. Remember, this is a name that was up almost 120 percent from 2016 to early 2018. We then really had two bear markets, down 30, then down 20. We are just on the verge here of pushing out above new highs. Anything above 300, 302 is a major breakout. We think this continues to go up. I would also turn your attention to biotech here, another place where we saw a really incredible bull market for about two years, and then a pretty devastating bear market. Biotech down close to 30% from the highs in 2018, but quietly, even when it shouldn't, with all the perceived risks out there, starting to act better. This is the XBI, so it's the biotech ETF. 100, 101 is a big level. I think we'll break out. Uh, it really counts about 30 points higher. So what in this biotech ETF can we buy at the stock level? Abvi, one of the largest weights. I mean, we've had two years of down 50%. But quietly, over the last several months, starting to bottom here. The trend is getting better, 50-day back above the 200. The 200 is starting to turn back up. You've had a little pullback over the last several days. I think this is a viable opportunity in a group that's getting better. So healthcare, HMOs, managed care, biotech seem immune to what are the perceived risks out there. I think that's pretty bullish. All right, good stuff there. Chris, come on back here. Tim, you like UNH. I'm, I'm long UNH. This is, I, I agree with Chris. This is a chart that's really quite extraordinary. And despite the fact that it's up 40% since October 3rd, it's just the same time the S&P's probably done 16 17%. Um, they reiterated their 2020 guide. Uh, their, their, their margins continue to accrete. Uh, I think a lot of the noise around the sector remains that for these guys. I stay long. I'm long Anthem, similar story, although they missed earnings on January 29th. The stock got just crushed, and I think it was really overdone. Then the CEO, Gail Boudreaux, came in and bought $2 million personally, and it seemed really overdone in the low 260s. I sold a little bit in here, but I am still long, and I have been long for years. 
You know, Bernie Sanders can ramble on all he wants about biotechs and healthcare and big cap pharma, but Eli Lilly continues to go higher despite that. I think Lilly is where you want to be. In like Lilly, like UNH? Lilly is one of the great charts in any sector, in any market, in any geography. This is a 20-year base. That one just broke out. Really good chart. Really good chart. Really good chart. On double L-Y. You can almost, almost say it's in through the outdoor. You can? Yeah. Yeah, but that, you know, it wouldn't be particularly... No. No. Just threw that in. That was, you know, it didn't even make sense. <laughs> it was a, it was a, he needed to get it right. I, I, I might ramble on. I think it made my, a lot of sense. Tim's comments, I think, is up to all of us, dazed and confused. All right, coming up, Dropbox soars. What the CEO said about the company's path to profitability. Don't even play in my lane, Seymour. And later, oh, wow. we're digging in on Deer. Why options traders think the stock could sink when their numbers come out tomorrow? As always, live for the Nasdaq market site. We always hold no quarter. We're back after this. <laughs> Going to go right into an earnings alert on Dropbox. That stock taking a new leg higher. The company's call about to get underway. The stock is up nearly 13%. Dear Jabosa, all the way out in San Francisco, why is Dropbox doing so well? <laughs> well, Brian, shares are up 13%, and we should note they're finally back above that IPO price of $21. And really, it comes down to what CEO Drew Houston just said. The company's looking toward a key milestone. Have a listen. By the end of this year, our goal is to become a profitable business on a gap basis. This orientation also extends beyond 2020. Longer term, we plan to drive accelerated margin expansion as we continue to innovate and methodically extend our platform into new markets. Guys, we should note that is gap profitability, not EBITDA or adjusted EBITDA profitability that has become a popular, though arguably less meaningful metric for recent consumer IPOs like Uber and Lyft. Now, Dropbox's Q1 revenue also came in a little bit better than expected. However, some big questions do remain, though, and Houston himself, Houston, excuse me, himself admitted that there is still work to do. Some analysts have raised concerns about the number of paid users. Net ads, they beat expectations at 300,000 this quarter, but as you can see this is a significant sequential decline from the 400,000, 500,000 net ads in previous quarters. This is important because as Dropbox tries to move up that chain, attract more paying corporate customers, it's running into stiff competition from Microsoft and Google and on the consumer guys as well. Plenty of competition there from the likes of Apple and Amazon. Back to you. All right. Good stuff there. We also learned the CEO is the street, not the city. Dear Drabosa, thank you very much. This is an, and I'm not going to editorialize here. Let's throw up a three-year chart. It's a hideous chart. Hideous. I mean, the stock is up nicely in after hours right now, but it was a $42 stock a year and a half ago. Yeah, and if you caught this move, I mean, this move from 16 to 21 and a half or so where we're trading now, good for you. And to quote the Steve Miller band, I would absolutely take the money and run. A horrible song, but that's what you do. Why? Because you go back to November, and that's where we topped out at, 21 and a half. Listen. Operating margins better. That's the good news. Bad news is valuation makes no sense. I agree. Uh, don't overstay. You're welcome here. They took this thing from 42 to 16 over the last couple of years. It takes more than one good quarter or one good earnings to tell us the stock is bottoming. There's maybe a glimmer of hope on the chart, but I think you've got to be really tight with the stop uh, if you're long. And if you've made some money here. Say, if you, here's the if you If you own it, 
going in tomorrow, should you sell it into the strength? You should sell it into strength. It's just not a good chart in a world where there's lots of good charts. If you own it, go over the hills and, and far, far away. away. Great, that's which is an instrument. I mean, that's okay. great. In I mean, other just earnings saying. news, check out shares of Domino's Pizza having their best day ever after they delivered a strong earnings oh, beat. The company's been opening stores and adding new menu items to fight off competition. Jim Cramer sitting down with the Domino CEO on Mad Money. There you can do it. There's the Cramer cam, and you can catch that full interview at the top of the I know Jim loves what Domino's been doing, especially with mobile. DPZ for Domino's Pizza. Anybody on the table own it or would like to own it or used to own it? I'm, yeah, I used to own it and probably sold it, I don't know, a couple hundred points, you know, too early. I mean, this was impressive. So many times Domino's has been impressive, right? For years, Domino's has been incredibly impressive. And, you know, the bear case of so much competition hasn't really worked at all. It's hard for me to say, though, buy something when it's up 25 percent on a. It was a great quarter, right? Yeah. A, a nice comp sales, but 25 percent? That's that's a lot. Wait for Throw up a 10-year chart. I believe, and again, Guy, correct, please mm. correct me if I'm wrong. Say, hey, hey what can I do? I can't be perfect all the time. Which is, this was a $12 stock 10 years ago. Mm. This is, I believe, the best-performing restaurant stock out of anybody in a decade. Yeah, you know, they, Steve, they win. When yeah. Steve Grasso was here, and correctly, he would say this is a technology company. Listen, obviously it had some headwinds over the last couple of years ago, but you go back, you talk about it, and Chris can speak to this, you talk about it breaking out above a previous high, that $300 level, which was huge resistance going back from the summer of last year. That's exactly what happened today. A lot of shorts got squeezed out. That's the play, but I do think to Karen's point, you see a back and fill here. You want, you want to own this thing. Huge base just Still, broke out. after making all this money, Hang on. No one's made any money here for two years. It's been in a two-year range. Just broke out. These have to be owned. Game changers. Okay. Own the stock, so says Chris. You can still own. All right. Rounding out our earnings coverage for the day, John Deere. They report tomorrow morning, and options traders are betting on a big dip in those results. Options play chief strategist Tony Zhang over at the Plasma to figure out why they're doing this and what they're betting on. Tony. Yep. Thanks, Brian. So let's take a look at John Deere. This stock actually trades fairly actively. Almost 10,000 contracts a day are traded. And today we saw about 32,000 contracts across the tape. Now, this stock reports earnings tomorrow morning. And the current options are implying only about a 4% move on earnings. Uh, while over the last four quarters, we've seen almost a 6% move. So this stock can move quite a bit on earnings. Now, earlier today, we saw a fair amount of bearish flow across the tape. We saw 400 contracts of the June 150 puts purchase for about $4. And that trader also at the same time sold 400 contracts of the June 195 calls, collecting about $1.20. Net debit paid about $2.80 for this spread. Now, if you look at this trade at expiration, the break-even is at 147.20, which is 11% downside. Now, that's a pretty bearish bet, but that's actually not entirely fair because a short risk reversal is actually similar to a short stock position. If we look at this particular trade, this trader is net short about 14,000 shares. So if we look at about a 4% spread, as the options are implying, if the stock moves 4% lower, this trader is looking at about $100,000 profit. If the stock runs about 4% higher, he's looking at about $100,000 loss on this particular trade. So clean way to take a bearish trade going into earnings. All right, we're going to watch those numbers tomorrow and see if that trade pays off or gets crushed. Tony, thank you very much. For more options action, you can always tune in the full show. Be tomorrow night. At 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, I will not be here. I'm off. I know it's a heartbreaker, Tim. Up next, your final trade. All right, time to reveal a few. 
few more Pete's pitch on Micron. It was close, but unfortunately, sorry, Pete, a swing and a miss. 53% of people did not buy your pitch, but there's a 3% margin of error, so we'll give it to you anyway, Pete. Thank you for coming on. All right, time now for our final trades. We got to end the sticks trivia, Tim. No, all right. Well, I'm going to give all my love to actually UNH. If you think about the earnings accretion, but also the fact that in a market where we're worried about earnings, this company's delivering. We'll stick with healthcare. XBI, the biotech ETF, about to break out here. Great looking chart. I want to be U.S. centric. I like the housing data. I like where the consumer is and rates here. XHB. I'm not going to insult the great Led Zeppelin by trying to insert some title superfluously. Oh, with oh, that oh, said, like I did. Like you did, Tim. Gardner Denver on a lousy tape. Look what that sucker did today, Brian. Gardner Denver? Yeah. Like you are no fool in the no, rain, guy. I mean, all right, thanks for watching. Matt with Jim Cramer starts right now.